Hey friends, I'm Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud. I'm the host of the new podcast, Commotion. If you don't know about us yet, well, we are your daily deep dive into the biggest stories coming out of the world of pop culture, art, and entertainment. And luckily, I'm not going to be doing it alone, okay? I'll be joined by some brilliant culture writers and thoughtful super fans. We're going to have hilarious hot takes. We're going to have vibrant debates. Consider this your invitation to join the group chat. Get in here and join us. Commotion, available weekdays on CBC Listen. This is a CBC Podcast. In small hamlets and First Nation communities across Canada's north, many pregnant women have little choice but to travel south, far away from home, to give birth. For decades, Inuit women in the vast area of northern Quebec known as Nunavik faced similar pressures. Local care for mothers and babies simply wasn't available. Until 1986, when the community of Pavernatuck opened the first midwifery clinic in the north. I visited Pavernatuck late last winter. Here's my documentary, Hands of a Midwife. While the children of Pavernatuck play outside, the woman who delivered many of them, Akanisi Kumaluk, sits at her kitchen table, showing me her small hands. My hands love to turn babies. We always make sure that the baby's head is down. But if the baby's head is up, my hands, I was taught to turn babies. And I love turning babies gently, gently, gently guiding that head down, down to where it's supposed to be. My hands are my skillful hands that know what they're doing. I loved my hands. I always loved my hands because... My hands were smart. They are hands with stories. The hands of a midwife. I love those moments when the baby turned head down. I love those moments. I loved it because this baby is working with me. And I always talk to the babies inside. Hey, we're going to turn your head down. You're going to have to help me. Because you cannot be born this way, we're going to guide you so that your head can go down where it's supposed to be. And please remain that position. I just don't talk to the mother. I talk to the babies myself. Because I know that the babies inside can hear my voice. They can listen. If the baby came out fine, it's beautiful to welcome the baby into the world. Welcome to the old world. <laughs> You're alive. You have a heart rate. That's good. Keep it up. I love those moments. And Akanisi has quarterbacked hundreds of those moments during the long journey of one Inuit community to take childbirth back into their hands. It took me the better part of a day to get to Pavernatuck, a small fly-in community in the far north of Quebec, home to about 2,000 people and countless sled dogs. Mina Tulagak is showing me around town. She drives by the place she was born. So it's right here, right there. I was born in a tent 
in a tent. Ah, uh, yep. Wow. My husband's grandmother was there. She's she's the one who's the famous midwife. My grandmother, my godmother, and my mother-in-law was there also. That's how it was back in the day, before the arrival of Kablunak, the white people. Women gave birth surrounded by family. My mother-in-law used to describe it. It was a brand new tent. My parents were still young, and it was hot because it was in August. Everybody was sweating, she said. <laughs> <laughs> so there were no kablunak, there were no doctors, there were no nurses, no nothing? No. The woman who attended Mina's birth, her name was Caroline. She was famous for her skills for catching babies. That woman was Akinesi's grandmother. They used to call her to aid laboring women. You know how labor works. They occur at any time of the day, even at night. So sometimes I'm sure she went by dog teams and sometimes I'm sure she went by just by walking. Um, she must have had great skills because I know that laboring women in those days, in those times, were not the easiest. I know that. It was Akanisi's grandmother who actually delivered Mina, but she was surrounded that day by the matriarchs of Mina's extended family. My mother-in-law was um, tagging along with her mother when I was born. That's how you learn uh, from each other. So it, even then, it was women were, were teaching each other. Yes, yes, they were. About how to, how to give birth. Yes. It was natural. It was with family. My mother was with women that she knew, and it was okay. If anything was to go wrong, it goes wrong. But when it doesn't, it's, it's something to celebrate. Mm -hmm. Do you think they worried about things going wrong? Of course. There were some women who will get a bit traumatized when something went wrong. But it was a life, it was a way of life, and they continue, they move forward, and they continue. Mm. It was life. Mm -hmm. The old school Inuit midwives didn't have modern health technology. Instead, they relied on generations of passed down knowledge about everything from natural ways to stop bleeding to the healthiest meals for expectant mothers. In those days, the most nutrition meal that a woman could get during pregnancy and childbirth was ptarmigan. Mm. That used to be put aside for the woman herself so that she can eat it because it's rich in blood. There was a lot of traditional medicine. That was before the nursing station came. That was before the nurses came. It was the arrival of missionaries, traders, teachers, and police that saw the creation of a nursing station. And so much changed then for the Inuit of Nunavik. By the 1950s, the government was pressuring pregnant women to travel hundreds of kilometers south to give birth. Places like Moose Factory at the southern tip of Hudson's Bay in Ontario, or Timmins, or even further south, Montreal. Akanisi was one of those women. 
we started having babies down south in Moose Factory or in myself, I ended up in Timmins because I had high blood pressures when I was pregnant with my third pregnancy. Akinesi gave birth to four children. She was 16 years old when she had her first one in Montreal. All things considered, it went okay. She wasn't so lucky with her third. My blood pressure just kept going up and up and up and up, and they couldn't control it in any way. They even tried inducing me by vein, but it didn't work either, so I had to have a C-section. Oh, C-section was very painful. I remember the nurse waking me up, and she was telling me, so you had your baby girl. Would you like to see her? She was telling me that, and I said, no, I want to sleep. So I just went to sleep, and they let me sleep. It was really hard. It was very painful when I woke up. and I felt The official reason for sending Inuit women to places like Moose Factory, Timmins, or Montreal was to improve birth survival rates and reduce complications. Northern hamlets didn't have hospitals. Southern towns and cities did. But for Inuit women, the experience of being sent south was isolating. They were alone for weeks, sometimes months, if there were complications. Mina Tulagak was 17 years old when she had her first baby. It was the early 70s, and she too had to fly south to give birth. I just accepted that's the way it was. I had no other way of thinking of how I had a say in the way in what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I wasn't learned or taught to think like that, so I just went along with going to Moose Factory. It was like being in a dorm because I was with, with other pregnant women from the other villages. I, I got to know them. It was okay. So that's how it was. Some women would go into labor. And we didn't think that we could be allowed to be with her while she was in labor, so they labored by themselves, which which happened a lot. Um, we had no family members there. The nurses didn't speak a Nuktatut. It was all so alienating. The prenatal care I had with my first baby is like um, I wasn't taught that what was going to be done to me, uh, how they were going to look after me, why they were going to take my blood pressure, why they were going to check my, my blood for blood count, and why they had to listen to my baby every, every prenatal visit. Nobody ever explained those things. Nobody ever explained. And so it was a bit of a mystery. Yeah. And you're just being treated like an object almost. Yeah. Some Halunaks would call it cattle. I don't know how you treat cattle. I, I, I don't know anything about cows. But we had dog tag numbers. We were treated like, I was treated like E92566. <laughs> Until the late 1970s, the government issued all Inuit a small disc with a number on it. 
It was called the Eskimo Identification System. Inuit were expected to wear or carry the tags at all times. That's how we were treated. Like dogs. Not people. Mm -mm. And not women. (laughs) You're smiling at me, but, but, but... Yeah. That's the truth, right? Yeah. But then, in the 1980s, something remarkable happened. A pregnant woman from right here in Pravernatuck said, No, I'm not giving birth in the South. She refused to get on the plane to go to Moore's factory, so she delivered her kid at the nursing station. Somebody had to refuse to get on the plane. It's just like that black woman who refused to get in the back of the bus. That was revolutionary. Pavernatuck's Rosa Parks was a woman named Annie Tulagak, and her small act of resistance changed things. Mina Tulagak and others gathered the elders and started discussing the possibility of being treated by midwives. The midwifery care model puts a big emphasis on holistic care, focused on a mother and baby's needs, with natural childbirth whenever possible compared to doctors who approach pregnancy and childbirth from a medical perspective. The midwifery approach just seemed more in tune with Inuit ways. Me, for myself, personally, Mm -hmm. I was just going along with going south. Mm -hmm. But then when we started having the meetings of what it is that they were preparing for, to have midwifery services, to have women be trained by midwives so that they could train on the job and how we want to give birth, who we want to give birth with, who we want to to have attend our births. We started talking about that. I didn't know I needed to have healing from having birthed with no family, healing from being taken from my home Mm. to another province to give birth by myself with strangers, with, with food that I'm not used to, with people that I have never seen before, that I will never see again. That was a healing process for me with those meetings. Hmm. And they said, okay, then let's, let's go for it. Let's do that. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. In the 1980s, Midwifery still wasn't accepted in most parts of Canada. A hospital delivery overseen by a doctor was pretty much the only option. But this was about the time the Inuit of Nunavik had negotiated local control over health care as part of a land claim settlement. Medical staff in Pavernatuck saw how keen the Inuit were to bring in midwives, and they saw a window of opportunity. By 1986, Pravernatuck opened the North's first maternity center, staffed by both southern midwives and local women, like Akanisi, who signed up for training. 
And I didn't even know what being on call meant at the time when I applied. But then I only learned years after that being a midwife means being on call, being ready for any time at the night. It's only then when I was in midwifery that I realized what I got myself into. (laughs) Akinesi would go on to be a midwife for 36 years, attending over 700 births with her small and skillful hands before retiring last year. There's a big picture of Akinesi on the wall in the Pavernatuck Maternity Center, or the maternity, as it's known here. It's part of the Pavernatuck Hospital, one of only two hospitals that serve all of Nunavik. But the midwives have made it feel a bit more homey than your average hospital wing. Little touches, like a neon heart in the window, and comfy couches and bedside tables for moms to be. That's where Nelly Ikikuk is examining Sarah Itakaluk. These days, the women of Pavernatak have a very different birthing experience. Sarah is 21 years old. This is her second pregnancy. Her first was a boy. He's three. And I think he knows about it. What did he say? Um, me too, in here, yeah. in my belly. <laughs> Never cute. <laughs> so he's excited. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's super relieved that both her children will be born here. The idea of giving birth down south makes her nervous. Maybe strangers in Montreal. <laughs> the people that I don't know of. That would be hard to have to... Show everything to yeah. people you don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Sarah invites me to sit in on her exam. I sit beside her as Nellie gently probes her growing belly and takes her vitals. She's doing well. She's eating well. She's sleeping well. She pees fine. She has no nausea. She has no vomiting. Oh, that's good. <laughs> While she carries out the exam, Nellie shares words of encouragement in a nuktat. The woman really have to understand what is she going through, what she is taking a medication, what is it for, and telling her what is going on in her pregnancy. Nellie is a mother herself of eight children. Two were high risk, so she had to be flown to Montreal. One of her babies was premature. That experience is burned into her mind. I was trying to tell a nurse that I am in labor. And she said, no, you're not in labor. She was just looking at the machine, not my belly. And when I was like, giving birth um, soon, when the baby is going to come out, I told her the baby's coming out, and she says, no, you're not. She never checked me how dilated I am. 
She wasn't paying attention to you. No. She wasn't listening to you. No. She wasn't trusting you. No. So we never do that when there is a, a, a woman in labor here in POV. So I was like, what the heck are they uh, thinking? So they finally checked me and uh, they see the head. And they rushed me to the emergency room because the baby is supposed to uh, birth in the emergency because he was a premature. At 34 weeks, he was born. These stories of medical misunderstandings and being treated with indifference persist today amongst Inuit women who travel south for health care, which is why, after the success in Pavernatuk, three other communities in Nunavik open maternity centers, Inukjuak, Salawit, and Kujuak. Researchers from across Canada and the globe have studied them extensively, and the numbers tell an important story. Almost 9 out of 10 births are in Nunavik now, not down south. Rates of cesarean deliveries are drastically lower here, about 2% compared to nearly 30% in southern Canada. Use of epidural pain relief is also well below the Canadian average. Mina Tulagak maintains it simply isn't as scary giving birth here. It's people who, who are very nervous about birth, who act like pregnancy, labor, and birth is a sickness. That's, that's the environment that makes it scary. The rates of perinatal mortality, that's the term for late fetal and early newborn deaths, are roughly the same as rates in Canada as a whole, under 1%. To Mina, it's sad when any family loses a baby, but she maintains Inuit have different values about newborn deaths. Doctors will do everything they can to keep anybody alive, even if they save that baby. That baby would have needed a lot of help to be existing while they're suffering. That's, that's, how, that's how we look at it, as Inuit. After over 30 years of successful maternity care and over 3,000 babies delivered, Pavernatuk has become a beacon for other indigenous and northern communities. Right now, there are only 11 indigenous midwifery practices in all of Canada, which means most pregnant Indigenous women in remote regions have no alternative but to leave their communities to seek care from strangers. Once we started midwifery care, midwives around Canada started hearing about our maternity being run by local midwives in, in their own language and being taken care of by their own lo- local people. They were in awe. We were not even aware that we were doing something so unique. It was only years later that we realized that we were so unique because we were running our own maternity in our own language and seeing our own women. On my last day in Pavernatuk at about 4 o'clock in the morning, Dilian Lolaku goes into labor. She calls Nellie. 
Yes, she called me at home while I'm still sleeping. That she was saying she's fully. So I, I rushed to here, to the hospital. Baby Elisabeth came into the world a few hours later. Seven pounds, 15 ounces. The student midwife made the catch with Nellie looking on. Relief. <laughs> After the baby is born, relief. And makes us so happy that the baby is doing well and the mother. The midwives do what they do after every birth. They spread the word. They plug in that tiny neon heart, glowing orange in the window, a signal to passing trucks and skidoos, a baby has been born. Nellie looks drained but content. How many babies have you delivered now? How many babies have you caught? Uh, more than a hundred. Um, I was trying to uh, update my catches, but I'm like in 95, and there are more things to write. That must be more than a hundred. You have to catch up with your files. Yes. And I'm keeping you away from your work. <laughs> I say goodbye walk out of the clinic, past that bright heart in the window. Past Nellie's truck, which has a license plate holder that makes me smile. It says, I'm a midwife. What's your superpower? It makes me think of something Akinisi told me. If we start midwifery in our own communities, it can start to heal our own communities. It can open up women's health. It can open up our own women in their own language. And your hands need to be small and you need to be a light sleeper. That's, you're meant to be a midwife. <laughs> are, are, are you trying to recruit? Are you trying to recruit more midwives? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to recruit more midwives around Canada because midwifery is very important to our communities. Small-handed women who are listening, <laughs> you, can, you can be a midwife. Yeah, yeah, I loved being a midwife. <laughs> uh, that's very good. All right, thank you. Nakumik. Yeah, Nakumik. Thank you. My documentary, Hands of a Midwife, was produced with support from the CBC Audio Doc Unit. Seemed a good one to play for those of you enjoying a family day today. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.